0: on blue jays your daily podcast on the toronto blue jays part of the locked on podcast network your team every day hello blue jays fans welcome to locked on blue jays your daily dose of toronto blue jays talk directly into whatever listening receptacle you use This is Ryan Andrews with you on a special Saturday edition of Locked On Blue Jays. This is the makeup edition for the Victoria Day shenanigans that resulted in me not being able to record. So, you know, bonus treat for y'all as you enjoy your weekend getting set to enjoy watching Russell Martin at shortstop. That... I I mean I'm I'm happy for Russell. It's a long time coming for him. He's always wanted to play shortstop in the major leagues. He got to do so in the World Cup for Canada. But um no, I'm I'm happy because this gets Luke Maley in the lineup. That's the that's the big takeaway from this, is that Luke Maley is back. So yeah, we'll be looking forward to that. And we're we're going to focus primarily on the established trends this Blue Jays team has put up that were kind of amplified via last night's way, way too tense game uh, to open the interleague series against the Phillies. We're, we're just gonna, we're going to see what we can take away from that. And there are some things that we can, can take away. And we'll, we'll focus on the, pitching in the latter half, I believe. Let's let's open with the offense, because the offense was good for the first little bit, for the first half of the game. Uh, Zach Eflin, it, it's a good thing he hit that home run last night, because there was nothing else going for him against that Blue Jays squad. Uh, five earned runs, given up in four and two-thirds. Second start against the Blue Jays, and it's the second time he has been Lit up by Toronto. I believe his first start was nine runs in two and two. Three, so, hey, Zach Eflin's improving against the Blue Jays. Um, he just kind of has to work on that 1595 ERA against the club. Oh, man. The Blue Jays love teeing off on Zach Eflin. I don't know why. But it was good. It was good to see. especially that first inning where again we we've talked about this all year blue jays chained hits to get runs in that's what they had to do great performance yesterday by the three four five hitters in the lineup that's justin smoke teoscar hernandez and yen hervis salarte a combined six for 12 which has been sorely lacking from this blue jays offense It, it just seems like there, there's always going to be one or two hitters in that slot that goes cold, especially during this recent skid. So for every, for all three of those guys to come out and just wrap balls around, uh, Justin Smoke with that huge two-run shot in the in the fifth that really established some then not not anticipated breathing room, but turned out to be very important. So. I, again, getting getting those guys going is huge for this Blue Jays offense. We'll see if they can keep it going today against one of the best pitchers in the league. Unfortunately, Aaron Nola's been straight dealing. So, we'll see what the Blue Jays can try and do here. I, I'm honestly not expecting much. Um, Just the way Nola's been pitching at home. He's won like five straight at home. So, again, I, I will... I will happily take what we got from the Blue Jays offense yesterday. Hopefully Nola doesn't put too much of a damper on things and we will come back on Monday talking about a, another rejuvenated effort from this Blue Jays team. I mean, I mean Nolan Nola's not bad. Uh, um he he got roughed up in his last start, but that was on the road in St. Louis. Again, uh, he's 5 and 0 at home this season. Uh, he, uh, he is allowed eight runs in five home starts. So not expecting much there. So let's talk about the starting pitching for the blue Jays then, because that's going to be more important to keep pace with Aaron Nola. and Jaime Garcia was activated from the DL today to come in and get the start against Aaron Nola, And this is going to be a big start for Jaime Garcia and it's big because of the guy who started last night's game, Sam Gavilio, a.k.a. the new J.A. Hap, a.k.a. Sammy G, a.k.a. ain't nothing but a Sammy G thing. Gavilio had another quality start for a Blue Jays team that's been sorely lacking in them. He went six innings, gave up three runs. the The late two-run shot to Carlos Santana didn't seem like it was going to factor in too much, but again, Blue Jays. So it did come into play, but for a team that has been struggling with depth, it's, again, sorely lacking. And the fact that Cavilio has been able to do this twice now for the Blue Jays, he's, he's looking like a bargain pickup. They got him for cash considerations from Kansas City at the end of spring training because he was about to be cut there. But for Cavilio to come out and, and, again, give some consistent innings for a team that has not been able to find that consistency in its rotation to know sam Gavilio was going to go out there and get through six that lightens the load on the bullpen which again we will talk about in the latter half of this podcast but Gavilio's not not your prototypical starter i believe he tops out at 88 miles per hour but what he's got when he has it is that greg maddox like control which again sorely lacking from a blue Jays team that walks way too many batters is all over the place and, and relies on getting people to chase Gavilio doesn't do that. Gavilio attacks the zone. He gets those first pitch strikes. He puts batters in uncomfortable positions. Um, he Gaviglio only threw 84 pitches last night too, which Aaron Sanchez burns through that in like three and two thirds innings. And, and again, strikes with Sam Gavilio of his 84 pitches, 58 went for strikes. And he's he's again he's not trying to do too much. He's not trying to pitch outside of himself. He's a he's a guy who's fought through the ranks, knows what he is about, and operates in that context. It's something that other Blue Jay starters could learn. To just just essentially not try to do too much. Not try to pitch outside yourself. Stick to what you can do and execute on that because gavilio has been able to do that i mean it, it took him a while to get up he didn't make his debut till 27 he, he just had a birthday this week turned 28 this week so happy belated birthday sam but he, he's a guy who knows how to operate with what he does he he takes what he knows and and uses it to its full effect he gets the most out of himself and he knows it's not running. We saw him run on that double that he hit in the second inning. He, he looked like a, a lost deer heading for second base. But, again, what Gavilio does is he, is he gives you length and he gives you assurances. He he gives you that comfort knowing he can go out there and give you six innings. Because he's not, he's not going to fool around. He's not going to try and do too much. So... What happens when Marcus Strowman comes back? I, I saw a joke on Twitter from a noted Blue Jays fan at Leslie underscore nope saying that it wouldn't matter because Aaron Sanchez is due for a DL stint. <laughs> Honestly, it might not be the worst thing for Aaron Sanchez at this point if it helps him, you know, just clear his head and maybe convinces him to use his fastball a lot more. But the question becomes if Stroman comes back and there's only one rotation slot, does that automatically mean Sam Gaviglio gets bumped? You don't want to make that decision based on two starts, but in his time with the Big League Club this year, Sam Gavilio has been dealing. He's been one of the Blue Jays' most effective pitchers, whereas today's starter, Jaime Garcia, has not been one of the Blue Jays' most effective starters. And... Again, it's about control. It's about location for a Blue Jays team that has not had it. Jaime Garcia has walked 21 batters in eight starts this season, struck out only 38. It's a it's a poor, it's a poor strikeout to walk ratio. It's the lowest of his career, and he's just compounding that problem by giving up bombs. He's already given up eight home runs, and. He, you you can't be doing that if you're if you're going to be this wild, you have to be able to get guys out without giving up some damage. And Jaime Garcia hasn't been able to do that. And it starts to beg the question: how much longer does Jaime Garcia have with this club? It we saw this last year with Matt Latos, and Matt Latos had a very short string. Obviously. Garcia gets a little bit more because he's making $8 million, But we're seeing in this day and age, contract is n- not a barrier to being cut. And Garcia's going to need a very good performance against Philadelphia. He needs to show the same kind of stuff he showed in his opening day start against the White Sox. Otherwise, he's going to follow Matt Latos out the door. They, the Blue Jays might be able to find someone to take him on who needs some innings. I mean, Cincinnati's been desperate enough to take on Matt Harvey. Tampa Bay would probably throw a throwaway prospect at him just to get another starter. So this could be a defining start for Jaime Garcia and his time in Toronto, whether or not he, can, he continues. Because Sam Gavillo is right there, and when you're in a position like the Blue Jays where you thought you'd be contending and you're quickly falling behind in the race, you need to go with who is d- dealing effectively. And Jaime Garcia has been anything but. And speaking of dealing effectively, let's talk about the bullpen right after this message. Okay, so I really wish I had booze when I was watching the tail end of last night's game. Because, oh my, that bullpen did everything it could to potentially lose that game outside from actually giving up the final blow. And this is something I worried about with the when the blow ups with Tyler Clippard started against Oakland, that you know, he had lost it a bit and it was it was going to have reverberations through the Blue Jays bullpen. And we saw it last night like, like like first of all, thank you, Sung Huan O for at least delivering a peace free inning. He worked around a solitary walk but he got two Ks. He was he was straight dealing. He was full on Ganondorf on the mound, full on Ripley, and and that was nice. That that was nice. There was no chance that Scott Kingery was going to advance any further than he did. But then Tyler Clippard comes in, and you know, Clippard needs to have a good performance to offset what he did against Oakland and Los Angeles. And what does he do? He promptly gives up back to back doubles to the top of the Phillies order to Hernandez and Hoskins. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh no, here we go again. Why did we send him out there? Like, I saw calls for John Axford. John Axford wasn't any more effective than Tyler Clippard. Like, if anything, people should have been calling for Aaron Loop. But that's a different topic. But no. Watching Clippard go out there and struggle, it would have been very easy for John Gibbons to pull the plug on him after that back-to-back shot. He had Ryan DeBarrow working in the bullpen, but he let Clippard work through it, and he was able to start putting that change up in a spot where he could get that soft contact, got, got a couple pop-outs, and then struck out Jose Valentin's kid, which, when the Phillies are sending up a pinch hitter that's batting 086, you better strike him out. So it was it was good to see Clipper get that, at least get some kind of return to form. Hopefully he can keep that forward. But then again, Ryan Tapera was up and warming, and it's possible he could have been counted on to get more than an innings work. And there was no way he was going to do any better than Clipper the way we saw him in that ninth inning. Just at- after getting that first out, he just started falling apart. Like the second, Jorge Alfaro got that seeing-eye ground ball single. It, it looked like he just shook. And it, it, one thing you don't need in a closer is one who gets shook very quickly. And and you could just see it. it um, giving up that double to Pedro Florimon. Like he he was all over the place, trying desperately to get that second out, and he just threw it away on Aaron Altair. And like he was all over the place, he walks Altair, walks Hernandez to load the bases. At that point, after the Hernandez walk, um. The, the projected win probability actually went in favor of Philadelphia for a moment. And everyone in Blue Jays nation believed it. Cause how many people did I see like hyperventilating into paper bags and just praying to whatever cruel God was inflicting this fate again on the Blue Jays to please back off for one night. It was, it was total apocalypse. And I, I was with them because I was watching that and 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 trying to comfort myself with food, and it was not working because I just saw Ryan Tapera go out there and again have these issues with closing. And I will one hundred percent give John Gibbons credit for what he did. He he didn't send Pete Walker out there. He went out there, and I'm pretty sure he said the same thing he did to Jaime Garcia. Just get the dang ball over the plate, and what what followed was eighth inning Tepera, A good Tepera. Texas Tep got got Joe West to give him that cowboy call to get get Reese Hopkins, which which that was a huge pitch to make because you know Odubel Herrera is going to make contact because that's what he does. So, to eliminate the possibility of the tying run scoring on even a ground out was huge. And then he got that ground out from Herrera. It, it was close at second, but Herrera can't outrun them all, and the Blue Jays end up getting a win. Now, does this bode well for the future save opportunities of this club? Absolutely not. You, again, your closer needs to close. He does not need to almost give the game away. And I. I said before I do have trepidations about Ryan Tapera being a closer because the last few times that the Blue Jays have thrown him in the ninth inning in these save situations, the results have not been stellar for Ryan Tepera. And I'm again, you you look at what happened when Alfaro got got on board and it it just looked like he he lost himself for a bit until John Gibbons went out there. And just basically shook him back to his prior form. You you need to have a mentality on there that you are going to get everyone out. And I go back to some 1-0 and, and that inning he pitched against Los Angeles where he stared down Mike Trout. And just basically said, no, no, this is not happening. So, I I don't know what it is with Tapera. It He... He's got a an ERA a full run higher in safe situations than he does in non-save situations, so maybe it is a conditioning. Maybe maybe again that was the night that turns it around for Ryan Deparo when John Gibbons goes out there and just say, "Hey, just pitch like you're supposed to, man. Just actually do you, and don't worry about anything else. You you have this. You." You don't you don't need to to try anything different just be what you can be and I think that that may be a lesson for the blue Jays pitching staff as a whole just be what you can be don't try and and fool anyone don't try and, and do anything else just be what you know you can be 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 what you know you can do <laughs> which is incredibly clumsy to say but like if, if the blue Jays pitching staff can get back to that, I, again, um, it it was bound to be a regression. Tyler Clippard was never going to have a 150 ERA again. John Oxford was never going to have a 150 ERA. But as long as these guys can continue to be within themselves to fight off that that struggle, that doubt that starts to creep in, they can avoid instances like Oakland, like Los Angeles. They can as as long as they just get out of their own head and and John Gibbons is one of the best at keeping players in their own head when when things get tough it's it's one of the reasons why i love having gibby as a manager cuz he he knows how to push the right buttons on the right player and i'm i'm happy they held on for that win cuz if if they lost that game the calls for gibby's head were just going to get louder and i don't want to see that cuz i like gibby and i like this team and that's why i keep talking about this team on this podcast as well as for you fine folk out there in blue in the blue jays base so yeah if you like what i'm saying and want more of it follow me on twitter at neoac18 you can follow the podcast at locked on locked on jays not locked on blue Jays. That is a website though, where you can go and find all your blue Jays needs from such reputable sources as Jays from the couch and the Toronto star and all that is all aggregated for you and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google play. If you haven't done so, it, it helps us. It, it helps, uh, fund what we do here. And, uh, I'm hoping to start getting some more interviews on here with people I'm going to try and get one that I know will be exclusive that will offer a different take on the Blue Jays than what I offer. So hopefully that's something to look forward to next week. Um, But until then, this closes this week of Blue Jays Talk here on the Locked on Blue Jays podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews. We'll see you on Monday, and y'all take care.